1 Corinthians chapter 13. While you're turning, let me just mention to you that uh, uh, Carol Edmondson's daughter passed away early this morning. She has been sick for a long time, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, Jerry called this morning. Sherry, she had been, went home to be with the Lord, and so you be praying for them. We'll get the information out as it comes available to us, okay? All right, everybody brought their hymn books? Amen. Greatest hymn book in all the world. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 one last time, okay? We're going to finish up our little series today, and I'm going to, I'm going to handle verses 8 through 13. And actually, let me just tell you, that's, that's actually two sections to me. I, everybody does it a little different. But I see verse 13 as its own section, and so I uh, tried to get verses 8 through 12 in last week, but you listened too slow. And uh, we, we weren't, no, there's a reason why I'll explain why we couldn't get through it all. But we're going to, first of all, deal with verses 8 through 12 this morning. And that's where we're going to see Paul defend love. He's going to tell us that love is paramount. Love is far beyond any spiritual gift. In fact, he's going to tell us that these gifts, especially three of them he'll mention, are going to fade away because they're temporary. But God's love will never fail because it's permanent, it's eternal, just like God is, okay? And then we're going to conclude our study looking at verse 13 for just a moment, and we're going to describe love's quality, okay? Now, let me tell you why I had a little trouble getting 8 through 12 into last week's message, okay? There's been a lot of theological debate over what Paul says in some of these verses, especially what he means by the word perfect, when he, that which is perfect comes, or when the, when the perfect comes, he says. And I want to deal with that a little bit this morning, okay? More of a lesson idea, but I wasn't able to get it in last week or your roast would have burnt. And so I'm going to tackle that first, and then we're going to close out on that wonderful verse, verse 13. Okay, let's stand in honor of God's word. I know you've been standing some. But it's very important that we stand for God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want us to begin reading in verse 8 through verse 13, okay? Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Notice how done away is used twice but not with regard to tongues. I'm going to try to bring that out, okay? Verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, I said he, it's not he, it's neuter, it's the perfect, which causes us a little bit of struggle here, okay? When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. My wife says, I still do sometimes. But I tell her, when I become a man, <laughs> I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. And then that great verse, verse 13. Now, but now... Faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest is what, church? Love. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we try to take apart these few verses that are, I think, so wonderfully written, uh, that causes us a little bit of a challenge to dig, 
I pray, God, your Holy Spirit will take that which we're supposed to have today and bore it into our heart so that while, God, we enter a a wonderful time of year, a special season of the year, we'll remind ourselves, far more important than any gift we buy or any gift we might receive, far more important than all the hustle-bustle and all the cooking and and everything that will come with this time of year, the greatest thing is love. Because that's who you are, and that's who we are to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's be seated. Keep your Bible open. I I want you to notice first with me, we're going to talk about love defended for a few moments, okay? And I want you to notice with me that first Paul kind of defends the preeminence of love with three statements. Look at verse 8. He says, love never fails. You see, that that could be a summary of what we talked about last week and probably in some respects is somewhat of a summary, but it's also a statement. He's wanting the readers to know. He's wanting this church to know that was struggling in some very deep ways about handling life, that there's something that will never let them down, and that is love. Gang, your preacher will let you down. In fact, if you've been here very long, your preacher, what, has let you down. Go ahead, admit it. You've gone home sometimes mad at me. I understand. I feel it. You know, I feel your pain. Preachers will let you down. Sunday school teachers let you down. Deacons are good at letting you down, right? Everybody lets you down. And you let others down. But love never lets you down. In fact, the the picture that's given here, and we see it in this time of year especially, the idea that that failing there is is the idea of a leaf falling off a tree. If you go back in my backyard, you'll see millions of leaves that have not been raked up yet, okay? And the idea is that as a a leaf will wither and die and fall, uh, everything in life will do that. But love, love will never wither. Love will never fall to the ground. Love will never die, okay? Now, there's a second statement, and you have to kind of look there in verse 8 carefully, okay? He tells us, secondly, that gifts of prophecy and knowledge, and notice how he links those together, will be done away. Now, the words done away means to become inactive or abolish, okay? One day prophecy One day knowledge will become ineffective. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 9. One day the partial will give way to fulfillment. So that's the second statement, okay? But then the third, which is interesting to me, he separates prophecy and knowledge by inserting tongues, and he says tongues will what? Cease. And he uses a totally different word, giving to us a totally different idea. This means that tongues will one day come to an end, that tongues will cease. In fact, in the way the grammar is used, he's actually saying that tongues have a built-in stopping place. Tongues have limited use, and when it's used up, it's going to just like a car battery. When you use up your car battery, what happens? It quits producing electricity. That's the idea here. Tongues have a built-in stopping place. There's a limited use. And when that use is used up, it stops or it ceases, 
because there is no more need of it. And I'm going to talk in a moment a little bit more about that. Okay? Now, let me tell you why I couldn't get all this in last week. Because there's a built-in tension in some of these statements. When does all this happen is the question you have to ask yourself. What, Paul, what are you getting at? When does all this happen? What do you mean by the statement, Paul, that when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away? Well, gang, I want you to know that theologians, which I aren't, which I ain't, that'll make clarify it real good for you. Theologians have had a field day, a really good time writing what this phrase means, digging what this phrase means. And I, I want to dwell on that for just a little bit, okay? I want to I give you some of the options that you're going to have to make a decision on when it comes to that which is perfect, okay? But let me confuse us a little bit more before I do that, okay? Because of the way verse 8 is written, I think Paul makes a distinction when it comes to tongues, and we talked a little bit about this last week. By the way, tongues, he's talking about known language. He's not talking about ecstatic utterances. I've dealt with that last week. That all comes into the church from paganism, and that's what was brought into the church at Corinth. When he talks about tongues, he's talking about known language. It would be me getting up here as an Englishman and uh, speaking, and there would be someone out there, and they would hear me in Japanese, and then would interpret it in Japanese, Okay. I do believe, because of the way this is written, that like a car battery, the need for tongues, rather I would say the need for languages, has ceased. And the reason I believe it's ceased is because we have God's complete revelation to us, gang. We have the Bible. Now listen, this is fan. If you can get your head around it, it's fabulous. God chose to reveal himself to us. He didn't have to do that. There's no obligation on God's end. God owes us nothing. In other words, get over ourselves, church. God owes us nothing. I always tell people I'm a pimple in the world. I'm good for nothing except hell. But yet God chose to show himself. God chose to reveal himself to us. And in that we see his grace and when he gave himself to us in Revelation, he did it through the word of God. He did it through the scriptures. We live in an age that wants to have all these hidden messages and all these mystical messages and all this feel-good message, what this felt-need stuff is. I want to tell you, all you need to know is in the word of God. God has chosen to reveal himself through the scriptures. And that's why. We don't need some of the gifts anymore, and especially this area of language or some call it tongues. We don't need that. There's no need for additional revelation. That's why I think Paul, very specifically, between prophecy and knowledge, he inserts the tongue, word tongues there, and it means they will cease. They will be used up. I want you to know, when you have decisions to make, when you're struggling in life, when you're, when you're trying to find yourself. You don't need to turn on the TV and look for some kind of hidden message. You don't even need a preacher. You go to God's complete revelation of himself, the Word of God. And when you search the Scriptures and you allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to you, there will be your answer. 
amen or oh me. I'm telling you, we're to be people of the word. And this is what Paul, that's why I think he makes a distinction here. Now, now that we're totally confused, okay, let's look and see what he means in verse 10. But when the perfect comes, okay, let me give you some options. And you'll, you're just going to have to pick one, okay, because all of them, I think, have some validity. I'll share the one where I'm at, but you'll have to choose your own, okay? Option number one is that perfect refers to the completion of Scripture. Now, I've already just dealt with that on the issue of tongues. Let me tell you, I like that. And for a long time held that position, okay? And there are theologians today that would really stand and say, that's, a, that, that's what is, Paul's referring to. But let me tell you where my struggle is with that now. Corinth would not understand. He's writing this letter not to Tom in America. He's writing this letter to people in Corinth. And they would have no idea what complete revelation is because the Bible hadn't even been put together yet. You with me? You tracking with me on that a little bit? I like it, but I don't think the people in Corinth would have a clue that that's what it was meaning. And so I've kind of backed off a little bit, although I sure like the idea, Scripture's complete, go to the Bible, don't listen to people, okay? Option number two, the word perfect refers to the rapture of the church. Gang, I like that, okay? And there are those theologians who really like that thought. But the problem I have with that is that prophecy, isn't it going to be needed in the tribulation time? Isn't the word of God going to need to be proclaimed during this period of time? And so I, I don't, while I like it, I don't think it refers to the second coming of Christ, okay? The rapture of the church, whatever your view of the rapture may be. Number three, perfect refers to Jesus' personal coming. I like that. But I don't think Scripture supports it because the word perfect that's used here is not a masculine term, so it can't refer to a person. And so I think you have to eliminate that. He's not talking about the return of the Lord Jesus, okay? Number four, perfect refers to the maturing of the church. I like that because you see... God sanctifies the church made up of people. If you're a believer in Christ and you were saved 20 years ago, you ought to be a 20-year more mature Christian than you were at the beginning. you agree with that? There ought to be some things going on in your life that's a little different than what it was, and you're growing in the Lord and maturing in the Lord. If you're not maturing in the Lord, and if you're not growing in the Lord, if you're not understanding the things of God better, and if you're not hungering for the things of God better, can I lovingly say to you, uh, you're probably not a believer in Christ. You're probably not regenerated. You're probably not converted. You need to be saved, you see. And so I like this. It refers to the maturing of the church, especially it's strengthened when he says, now we know in part when they will be fully known. Verse 11 says, when I was a uh, child, I played with kid things. As I grew up, I put it away. The problem here with this position is that you've still got to deal with what's going to happen during the tribulation time, in prophecy. So that leads us to number five, which I'm more comfortable with. You choose your own, okay? Option number five, perfect refers to the consummation of the age, the, our eternal state, when it's all over. I like that, and frankly, I don't know that you can find an argument against it. One day we'll be known as we are known kind of idea, okay? So I think what, what Paul, 
I think what Paul is saying is at the, at the end of it all, when perfect comes, we'll have no need of any spiritual gift because we'll be at the end of the age and we'll be spending eternity with God. Okay, so there you are. There's your options. I wrote down here, pick one, let's go eat some more turkey. Okay? However, let me take you back and let's focus on what is the main thing? You know, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And churches are the world's worst of a forget what the main thing is. Let me take you back to the main thing, okay? The main thing that Paul's dealing with in chapter 13 is the importance of love over spiritual gifts. In other words, what was happening in Corinth, we have to protect against. That spiritual gifts should never be the cause for arrogance or pride, or conceit, or ranking in order of importance in the church. And what Paul, the reason Paul put chapter 13 here between chapter 12 and 14 that deal with spiritual gifts is because he's wanting the church to know you got it wrong. You're emphasizing the wrong things. You got this rank and pecking order thing going on. It's all wrong. Anybody can survive doing their best without some of these gifts, but nobody can survive without love. I'm telling you, gang, you're married. Why do we have 50% divorce going on in our country with Christians, so-called Christians? Because they've forgotten a very fundamental truth, and that is the only way you survive is truth. It loves truth. I shared with you last week, we hit 41 years of marriage together. You know how we've survived? Love. You know, not a feeling, but an action. Not when we do it my way or when we do it Paula's way, but when we do it God's way. Anybody here been married over 50 years? Wow. How did you do it? Love. It's the only thing that works. And so Paul's trying to help them say, wait a minute. These are important. Gifts are important. They're important to the church. And you need to know what yours is. You need to exercise it. But you can't get overboard with it because in the big scheme of things, that's God's business, giving spiritual gifts to help the church function. But the whole overriding blessing is when you just Love the way God intends it to be. And I want to tell you something. I know we all have temperaments. We all have different personalities, don't we? And we're all constructed different, and I can guarantee you that you're different from your spouse. Before you're married, opposites attract. After you're married, opposites attack. Isn't that right? Okay? And I understand that. And I understand the battles. I understand the tensions of personality and all the baggage that you carry with you, man. You, you were raised by imperfect parents and in an imperfect world, and you got all this stuff going on. The only way you can survive is by understanding and applying God love, the agape love we talked about, commitment love, not of a feeling but of a decision, Okay. So anyway, 8 through 12, I just think is a fabulous verses. And uh, you have to dig out the gold and decide for yourself what the perfect means 
And I've come to the conclusions is at the end of it all, um, we'll be with him. And, boy, it's going to be great. Okay? All right, then, let me close. Look at verse 13. Let me, let me, um, let me close out in verse 13. Okay? But now, faith, hope, love, abide. And you might want to circle that word. Abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Okay? He closes by giving us three paramount qualities or virtues of the Christian life. And he wants us to know again that love uh, is on top. Okay? Now, let me just tell you, I used to think that when he used, gave us verse 13, that faith would be here for a while and leave, and hope would be here for a while and leave, but love would be the one that abides. Okay? I, I, don't, I don't think that. Okay? Because it looks to me like the word abide is applying to all three. Now, what does the word abide mean? Well, it means to dwell with. Actually, in Scripture, the word abide means to live with. Okay? It's, it's not a temporary thing like these spiritual gifts he was talking about. Uh, it's not a momentary thing. Uh, it's not a come and go thing. But the word abide means to continue with, literally it means to endure. So I don't think we can really say that love, faith goes away and hope goes away, but love continues on. I don't think that's right interpretation. I think what it means, and here's my conviction, is that faith and hope is swallowed up now in love. And I think what we need to do is take apart faith and take apart hope, and then maybe we can see how faith and hope can be consumed by not Tom love or human love, but by, but by God love, okay? So let me, let me kind of, let me deal with that for just a moment, okay? Look, look back in, in verse 7 for just a moment, okay? When he was doing his summary of love, he says, it bears all things, see that? It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Faith without love can be very cold and formal. And I think we see that in a lot in our churches. We, we are so hung up on this uh, doctrine. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I believe we need to have doctrine. In fact, we're, our Christmas thing is going to be about doctrine. But if you have strong doctrine and you don't balance it with love, what happens? It becomes very cold. becomes very formal. Have you ever been in a church that when you walk in and it might be in the middle of August, you wish you had a coat on it, coat on? Because you walk in and it's just cold as it can be. But when you look at their conviction statements or you listen to what they teach, there's no doubt they're Bible-centered and they're doctrine-centered and they're very, very uh, strict with God's Word. Well, if you don't have love injected into doctrine, not always, but it can be very cold and very formal. And I think what God wants us to be is doctrinally sound, that you're saved by grace through faith alone, according to the merits of Christ alone, 
on the cross alone, to the glory of God alone, consistent with the scriptures alone. Okay, that's what I think we ought to hold to. But we need to mix into it the tenderness that comes with love, you see, because God gave his son on a cross, and he did that because of love. Hope without love can be very grim, can it? Almost fatalistic. I'm telling you, again, you lose hope, you might as well just throw in the towel because you're not going to make it very long, see? And the reason I think love kind of consumes faith and hope is because when love is present, faith is confidence. I believe that God is in charge, that God is sovereign, and that God's going to turn this thing out the way he wants to for his glory. I think faith is confidence. Someone told us when I surrendered to preach, you got a lot of faith. I said, no, I got a lot of confidence. I believe God, if he's called, God is faithful to see us through, see? I think that if love's present, hope is courage. I guarantee you, everyone in this room has challenges. Everybody, every family, Don and I were going to the hospital last night, and we were sharing about life, and, and, uh, and I made the statement to him, man, every family has its challenges. You ought to hear some of Don's family's tales. Man, we could really have a family. I'm teasing, okay? I'm teasing. I'm just saying every family. You could have a, we could, if we were to write a book, we could all take a chapter. My weird family, right? We all have that. But what helps us continue on is the hope that we have in God, that he's going to see us through. And so I think that, that, that love consumes faith and it gives us confidence, consumes hope, and it gives us courage because love is eternal, okay? So I want to close by asking you just a few questions and then give you some scriptures to think about, okay? Question number one. Is God faith? Well, my answer is no. He's not faith. He's faithful, isn't he? And he gives faith. I think the reason you're saved is not because you conjured up some kind of faith in you like a treadmill. I think the reason you're saved is because he gave you the gift of faith that you can respond to the blessed gospel of the Lord Jesus. That's humbling to sinners. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that none of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of... What is it? That's faith. You're justified by faith alone. He gives that to you. He's not faith. He gives it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the first verse, really, after John 3, 16, I ever memorized in the Bible, God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted more than you're able, but will with every temptation provide a way of escape that you can bear it. God is faithful, see? 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So God gives faith. All right, question number two, is God hope? Well, my answer to you is no. But he gives us hope, doesn't he? He measures it out to us, I think, in the amount we need for the moment we need it. 
Psalm 62, 5, my soul. Is that like, it's like David's preaching to himself. My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation. Hebrews 6, 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Is he faith? No. Is he hope? No. Does he give it? Oh, praise God, he does. Question number three, then, is God love? And my answer to you is, oh, yes, my friend. When people fail in love, he never does. When people disappoint you, he never does because he is love. It wasn't faith that sent Jesus to the cross. It wasn't hope that caused Jesus to die for sin. It was love. And I believe those who are able to get their head around eternal love, I think those that somehow can get a measure of understanding about God love can handle just about anything that comes their way because they know that it was love that caused God to slay his son on the cross for sin, okay? Let me close with 1 John 4.16. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And now listen to what he wrote. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's the same word abide that's used in verse 13. Okay? Love abides. But those who love God abides in God's love. God abides, dwells, lives in them. And so my question as we close this morning is this. Without any question in your heart, with total assurance, can you say that you abide in God's love? Do you have the conviction that God's love abides, dwells, lives in you? And if you say yes, no doubt then I say you're a believer, born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it to work. If you have some doubt about that, if you're just not sure, then I would lovingly say to you that in all probability, you don't have it. But God can give it because, you see, love is a gift as well. Let's bow our heads for a moment, okay? Miss Barbara's going to come. I think that in verse 13, the, the trigger term, the trigger word is the word abide. Do you abide in him? Does he abide in you? Is there a continual there? Do you know, do you know, that? do you know that God is abiding in you?
Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we'll understand as people of God what love really is and how we should be people of love. Father, there may be some here this morning in this service or the next service that just doesn't have this love thing down because of that abidingness is not there. Oh, God, I pray your spirit will convict those who need convicting of that truth. In Jesus' name, I pray. Would you stand with me for just a moment? Don and I are going to be here, and Barbara will be playing. I, I don't know where you're at on this love thing, but I'm telling you, if it's not love, God's way, then you have nothing. You have no hope in this life. And you have no hope in the next life, okay? There abideth love, okay? I want to ask you a question with our heads bowed, no one looking around. Obviously, we're entering a tender time of year. You may see some folks you don't see very often. And I just wonder, you know, would you say, would you be able to say, you know what, there's going to be some moments of uncomfortableness here. I'm going to have some time with certain family that I've struggled with. And I'm concerned about it. Would you pray with me about it? And I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. I'll not embarrass you, of course. There's, okay, all right. Anybody else? Okay, all right. Okay. Before I pray and share this decision with you, think of it this way. God's orchestrated a moment where because you know what love is and we've talked about what love is you may be the only love that's there and you'll have the opportunity to play the role of love to play the role of God when you're together Father for these that raise their hands in those moments when it gets to be a little tense or a little tough, God, may your Holy Spirit bring back to their memory 
perhaps the verses we've read or some of the things we discussed so that this year the light of the gospel will shine. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Y'all just stand for just a moment if you would. Don, you and Janet, Janet, come and stand beside me if you would. This is the Terry, did I say that right, Janet? Janan, I knew I, I knew that was wrong when I said that. I just didn't know how to crawl out of the ditch. The Terry's are back. They were here for a while, left, and come back, and they've uh, come. Well, they said we're coming back home. Amen. If you're excited about this family coming, but would you let them know we welcome you? I want y'all to stand right here with me, okay? Our people will come and welcome you guys back. Um, you had said we needed to mention something at the very end. You want to do that? Okay. Hey, gang, next, uh, next Sunday begins our, our Christmas celebration. Uh, every Sunday uh, during December, the 8th, the 15th, and the 22nd, we'll have a different emphasis. Next week is uh, Christmas past, and uh, both services will be the same, okay? So whether you come to the 815 service or the 1045 service, it will be the same service, okay? So Christmas past and Christmas present and, of course, Christmas future. Also, you can join us on Wednesday night, uh, starting this Wednesday, 630. Uh, Ms. Gail Baxley is going to be leading a Bible study along that same subject, Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. So instead of just having one day, hey, we want to encourage you to worship Jesus with us all month during the month of December, all right? Hey, have a great time in small group. Don't forget, can't ever have too many dons in the church, so you come by and greet everybody, all right?
Laura will be here to sing, that's it. Everybody else is out singing Grandma or out on the road.
That that one's just that will uh, run away. It's just that super. I mean, really. Uh, there's two versions of it. The version we're doing is sort of was already going to be like an acoustic kind of thing, anyways. Where all it is is like a little, little bit of bass, a little bit of light piano, and just kind of sort of like. It's like that's really all it does. Pretty much the whole song, except for the bridge, it'll start kind of doing a build a little bit. So it's 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 real simple stuff there. Real. Uh, As soon as she gets here, we'll. All right, let's do a little check on that, Jim. Go for it, brother man. Well, we'll go. We'll go without that one for now and see. Let's see. See if it comes in right. Sounds good. It, it'll get a little bit of a buzz that because I haven't had a chance to set it up yet, and there's nothing we can do about that. But I, but for an acoustic set, that works actually because people expect to hear that some. So. I totally understand.
Check one, check. Basically, like I said, we're, we're going to play everything exactly how we normally play these songs. We'll just play it in acoustics. Um, the, o- the only one we'll really have to watch at is Healing is in Your Hands. Cause I don't have we ever done that as a full band? I don't know if we ever have or not. I've usually just done it as an acoustic thing. But I think we did one time. I think one time we did. That's, that's been a long, it's been like eight months that we did. So I've never played any of those. Oh, <laughs> be an exciting adventure. Well, the good thing, me and you can run through them once things are done in here. Yeah, we'll just get a good sound check and then if we need to keep running through stuff afterwards, we can. Basically on that first one, I mean, just drive the heck out of it, you know, like if you're, if you're basically doing, yeah, if you're doing like, you know, uh, or you can even do eighth notes if you want. As I say, you may, I think we had... If you, if you need to use a pick for eighth notes, you can feel free to do it and say, here you go. I don't know if that's going to work. Yeah, so I don't know how. Um, all right. Yeah, it comes, pops a little bit. Check, one, two. Yeah, actually, I'll get, I'll get you a monitor over there in a minute. So you'll be able to hear better here in a little bit. <laughs> um, so basically, this one, we'll just do exactly what we've been doing. Like I said, I'll say a little something to him, like, hey, you know, I know Christmas doesn't really get rolling until next week, but, you know, we thought we'd start off with a Christmas song, yada, yada, yada. And I'll still give you all that, uh, that uh, for an intro, I'll give you all that.
this guitar monitor mix two. Um, yeah, so just remember with this one, uh, try to remember, like, like especially with it being an acoustic set, let's make sure we don't do anything to drag. Um, uh, like I said, just try to try to try to hone in on where I'm at. Like, listen, I'll I'll drive that rhythm real real steady and real hard. You know, so we want to stay somewhere. You know, um, you know, kind of, you know. Yeah, after the third verse, we'll do the chorus just one more time. And the way we'll end it is that that the third time we do the chorus, we'll do that second line, we'll play it. We'll start into it and just give y'all like a
song of galaxies. No, just a second. Let me uh, play a little bit there, Carrie. I'm not having you on my monitor. There it is. I didn't have it turned up. Can I get more of Stuart's vocal in this monitor, please? Check one, two, three. That'd be monitor mix two there. Uh, that's two. We got it. We've got it weird that way. <laughs> the front line is two. The back line's one. Check one, two, three. Oh, yeah, check, great. check, check. Thank you. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, sorry, I didn't have it turned up, and I was like, why can't I hear Carrie? And then I realized I had that mic turned off. I was like, um, yeah, yeah. So you know, we'll do the second chorus. You know, uh, at the end of that second chorus, you know, we, we do. Uh, So I'm gonna have to just save what I've got left for the second service. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we'll do that. You know that. Yeah, just like whole notes, a tiny bit of like rolling piano, and then the second part of it, we'll start doing like a build. I'm so Where's that? Oh, I know, I know. Well, yeah, we can try it. I'm afraid. I'm just afraid it's gonna be so empty without the other. Well, let's just give it a start. Just a start there. If I play the instead of the other, just try to be really loud. I guess on the intro, I'll give y'all like a one, two. sound big enough or is that really really empty sounding okay i'll just do that then that'll work yeah i was just afraid it would sound too weak you know without that pounding i wish we had one more person to, i literally met everybody that could play bass is out of town except for you yeah i mean it's just crazy so, yeah so um yeah okay you know of course so we'll do that one and what, of course we do for the outro we just do the same thing we did for the intro you know it's, you know we just go that very last chorus will be Those that that uh, that big button above the yeah you got that um 
because we're up against Sunday school right now. So let's just talk through this one some. Uh, basically, to make this, like I said, there's two versions of this out there. We're doing the one that's on her album, which is super, like, it almost feels like if you ever, like, I think of it as if you watch, like, a storyteller by, like, a country artist. It's super, like, super low-key. Um, like, I think kind of like an Allison Krauss type of feel almost, like very soft and sweet, you know, and um, basically try to just let, uh, just try to let the um, the rhythm guitar just kind of carry you through and just do stuff around that that just sort of just kind of, kind of just next to me. Basically what you'll hear in the arrangement is it starts off with just acoustic guitar and then uh, at, at verse two, everything kind of comes in. You'll just hear like the, the bass guitar kind of slides in doing like this, you know, yeah, just real soft stuff like that, and and you know, there's like a probably is a Jim Bayer, it may be bongo, but yeah, that'll that exactly just real soft. arpeggios or things that they don't a lot of it times it doesn't really define like a beat or, or a key drive it just kind of light rolls in and kind of stuff like that so um so i'll start us off on this one i'm actually going to say a little something first there's a reason we're doing this song you know christmas time it's kind of an odd song you would think but there's a reason we're doing it so i'll, I'll explain it to them and then we'll start into it and laura i'll give you for an intro baby i'll just give you just a just a you know Is that, uh, you know, that 
So let's try just that last line. So it'll be healing is in your hands. How present, how future. there's no sheet music for this song because they just wrote it with a chord sheet but um it does this super pretty bridge where it's mostly just nothing but like uh, a tiny bit of like light guitar and the piano um if we can figure it out real quick it, it it's really cool like i'm not sure what they're doing with the left hand but i know on the right hand it's really pretty how over the top of just a little the guitar just chording a little bit it 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 walks down the vocal line like one note at a time with the so it'll it'll do like and so during during that part so exact yeah that it'll be like and then it goes to a uh, my brain good I think that's a D right yeah. D, D, E, F sharp, A, F sharp, D. And then it just repeats that. Yeah, yeah. And so it'll do it'll do that twice. Uh, let me see. Oh no, I'm sorry. It goes it goes yeah, it goes. So so yeah, let's just try uh um it'll do that for the first two lines uh of the bridge Miss Barbara and then that that third line with that E minor and that A, I think it just goes to chords there. You know that uh you'll you'll get uh building like a, you know exactly so let's try that real quick we'll come out of the chorus before that and and basically it'll drop the first half of the bridge will drop to just me and miss barbara and laura and then that second half y'all start coming and driving that at dun, 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 yeah and then we'll do the chorus it just ignore where it says chorus two ignore that completely because that they're just trying to that's where they try to do cutesy stuff that you need to have no like a you need to be able to use sheet music for that. So <laughs> we'll just do 
the uh, the original chorus again after that. Um, and I think we'll do it two times. Is that right, Lauren? Yeah. 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 Okay. So we'll, so after the bridge, we go back and catch chorus one two more times. Um, and the way it ends is super cool because we hit that G, and basically everything just kind of the rest of us we do the same thing we did at the end of that first chorus where everything just kind of you keep going for uh well first let's try the bridge fast sorry yeah get ahead of myself yeah yeah just to, because all they're doing is just trying to do stuff that we don't need to worry about so we'll just do chorus every time we do a chorus it'll be that chorus on the first page so we'll come out of the end of that chorus before the bridge and it'll be Basically, and like I said, the, the, the djembe just keeps running, going at the same speed, and so it'll be you'll, it'll be like this. You'll get. Tell you what, so uh, I'll just I'm gonna do a little bit of uh, uh, the last one. I'll just do that with just acoustic guitar. So if y'all want to go ahead and make your way down at that one, like at the end of Healing Is in Your Hands, I'm just gonna do that one with just really light as a transitionary thing to get Tom up here. Uh, so that, those first three is all we really have to worry about. So we'll be we'll be good. Y'all need to hit any of those again? Anything on those? Or? Y'all sound good, man. So that's yeah, that's good for being able to throw something together. I really wanted to do the full band, but man, I was like, people kept dropping like flies between being sick and going out of town. <laughs> I was like, there's no way this happened. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cannons. True, true. Yeah, 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 we can do that. Um, Laura, I'm just going to go hide. I'm just going to walk around. Yeah, I'm going to do that. 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 I'm going to do that
singing in that gym, man, it's so hard on your throat because you can't hardly hear anything. If I go do that, I'm not going to have anything left that song, brothers. Sean, we're good, man. Say so if you if you need to go to Sunday school or anything, that's cool or, or whatever. You, or if you just gonna hang out, you know, whatever. Say <laughs> I'll come yak with you here in a minute after I run through run through the list. Sister. 